Welcome to the Purpose and Principles podcast. I'm Max Brown, and my guest today is Katie Anderson. And Katie and I have been in a similar line of work for years, and yet we've and our and we've known about each other. We I follow her, of course, but we've never had a, the opportunity to meet until today. And Katie, I'm so excited to have you on the Purpose and Principles podcast. Thank you, Max. I am thrilled to speak with you not only on the podcast, but just in general. Um, you know, we're sort of like been ships in the night trying to coordinate things for years. And so I'm so happy we finally made it happen. Uh, me too. And and for our listeners today, just so that they have a, a, a an inkling of the little of the pieces you do and the book we're going to talk about today. Of course, you're the author of one of the what, number one best-selling books right now. It's called Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn. Lessons from the Toyota Leadership of Asayo Yoshino. Is that how I pronounce his name? Asayo Yoshino, yes. Thank you. Of a lifetime of continuous learning, right? And you've had this wonderful background, of course, in continuous improvement. You lead great trips to Japan for people who want to learn more about lean leadership and the Toyota way, Japanese culture. Um, you have a great background in speaking and consulting all over the world. It's just fantastic because, you know, like I said, we've we've followed each other. We've seen each other's work. We've done different things together. It's just great to have you here today to talk about some of those reflections and lessons learned. I love it. Uh, the word Hansei or reflection is one of my go-to words. So I'm all about reflecting because I honestly believe that reflection is the beginning and not the end of learning. So if we don't take that time to reflect, we're actually missing that component of learning, uh, which is so critical to what we're trying to do in our world, achieving the big goals and continuous improvement as well. Well said. In fact, I'm so glad to hear you say that because I think it's one of the biggest pieces we miss in leadership. We're very busy. We have a lot of KPIs we have to achieve. We're being told that if we don't get it by the end of the quarter, you know, there's a lot of pressure. How do we get that time to reflect? Where, where, where do we find that time? Where, how do we even begin? I, I, I get that question all the time. And I experience that myself as well. You know, it's so easy to just be stuck in this like, do, 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 or mm -hmm. plan, do, plan, do, mm -hmm. plan, do. Mm -hmm. And we're really missing out on understanding like what's the real problem we're trying to solve? Are the efforts that we're taking really closing the gap or moving us forward? Do we need to adjust? I even, one of the things that I suggest people start with is just micro reflections, even like how can you take one minute to even say, how did things go today? You know, or five minutes, it's, you know, it feels so much when we try and take out like, oh, I need to spend an hour doing reflection. You can build up to that. But if we can even just take those small moments to say, how are things going? What do I need to adjust? We start building in that habit and taking a little bit more time and getting a little bit better every day. Yeah, I agree. In fact, one of the simple questions we encourage a lot of our, our teams and the leaders that I'm coaching now I just ask them, you know, at the end of a tier meeting or at the end of a review, just to ask the question, did this meeting help us to do the work better, mm. right? Is there something we could do to make it better, to make the conversation better? So it's a learning question, but I want them to improve. I want them to consider like, don't, don't just establish the status quo as okay. Right. For sure. There's so many simple questions that we can ask ourselves that help us do that check adjust. And so you know, if we think about that, you know, that cycle that we normally call plan, do, check, act, or plan, do, study, adjust, we forget that study, adjust part. And so I actually advocate for us calling it study, adjust, plan, do, to remember that actually the most important part is to do the study and adjust because that's where the, the real learning happens. Of course, you need to 
do some planning and you need to actually take the action. But if we're not doing the learning and the adjustment and the reflection, then we're missing out on really accelerating our improvement. And so like, like doing more isn't necessarily going to achieve more. Uh, but it's through doing that reflection, we're doing it smarter and more effectively. Yeah. Oh, man. So, Katie, so many questions. Where did this come from for you? I mean, you have this international background, of course. I lived in China for five years, traveled a lot in Asia. You did the same thing. You took your family and moved to, to Tokyo for 18 months in 2015. Tell me about that journey. Why that journey? And, and what did it teach you, I guess, more importantly? I mean, you're, it's already coming out. I can feel it. So where's yeah. this coming from? Why is this so important? You know, it's, it's interesting. So I'm actually going to kind of come full circle on this. I'm, I, Japan was actually the last of many countries that I've most recently lived in. Uh, I've always been an international person from a young age, even in high school and after, in college, lived in, uh, studied abroad as an exchange student. I moved to the UK after college. I was in Australia as a Fulbright scholar and stayed there for four years. So I really, am, the only place I've actually lived in the United States is the San Francisco Bay Area, but I've lived in many, many countries. And so when this opportunity came up for our family to move to Japan, actually, actually it was for my husband's job, but I couldn't have picked a more perfect country for me as a continuous improvement practitioner and leader. Uh, and I just started my own consulting practice after many, many years of practicing lean and continuous improvement mm -hmm. in hospitals and healthcare systems. And I was thrilled to go and learn. I'm a learner. I'm achiever. I'm an international person. And I, I wanted to learn as much about the Toyota production system and the origins of lean at the source. And I also didn't want to just hold that knowledge for myself. And so I set out intentionally. That's when I started writing a blog and sharing my learnings with others as well, mm. because I had this unique lens of being already a continuous improvement practitioner from the West and having that experience, but then being able to go immerse myself in Japan and Japanese culture and getting connected with all of these incredible Japanese leaders, either at Toyota or other companies who are really committed to people development mm -hmm. and doing mm -hmm. the best for their organization and for their customers. What was one of the big ahas you had from that? I think I think a lot of people that practice lean or continuous improvement in the U.S. Um, don't fully understand or appreciate the origins or why it came to be that we studied Toyota production system, for instance. Um, and it's and it's not because it's the only way, but it was certainly an incredible way, uh, because the leaders embraced something that was just. Well, it changed the way that they produce and the way that they produce consistently great quality product with people who want to come and stay and do good work and improve the processes with us, right? There was a level of humility that was just in the air. Yeah, it's, well, first you asked what were some of the things that I, ahas that I had. Well, so one, the one that strikes you immediately is that not all companies, <clears throat> excuse me, companies or organizations in Japan are like Toyota. Yeah. So actually it's a very command and control society, mm -hmm. um, at least nowadays where people look to the leader to have all the answers. And there are a lot of inefficiencies and things that were these interesting, intriguing contrasts and contradictions. However, there is this, as you and I talked about earlier, in the air, the sense of humility, this deep respect for people, um, and this desire, this concept of emotenashi or customer service and doing the best that you can in your job in service of other people, that is just really fundamentally at the core of Japanese culture. And yet Toyota has done something even 
more interesting that they took some of the things that were perhaps we might consider more limiting or like counterintuitive as we understand lean and, and the, the foundations of the Toyota way mm-hmm. and actually put in place some countermeasures to that and sort of flip inverted the pyramid so that, you know, the, that's more about servant leadership. So leverage that hierarchy, but instead of leader telling you what to do, the leader set direction mm-hmm. and then provide support to people to achieve the important goals in the organization. And also, you know, Japan in the after World War II was, you know, Japan was <laughs> devastated from, from the war and really had to quickly rebuild itself. And so, you know, I think about there was a real like burning platform of like, we need to do something different and we need to be more efficient and we need to get better quickly. And so there was a real embracing of Deming and others, other Westerners actually, who came to Japan to help them te- help teach them the concepts of continuous improvement and systems thinking and all of that. And they really embraced it and applied it because they had a real need to. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that that's, those are some of my ahas. I've written about it a lot as well. I'm curious about your perspective too, having spent time in Asia and other countries too, about um, how you see that the cultural influences behind what has become lean. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm nodding my head, you know, as we talk, because we can see one another. And of course, our audience cannot. But but um, I, I, I agree with you. I mean, the experience that I had, and, and not unlike yours, was there's a level of respect. Now, it, and I'm not saying that it's perfect, and not every company applies it well. And, and like you said, at Toyota, in fact, the Toyota production system used to be called the Respect for Humanity system before it was the Toyota production system, right? And what was that respect for humanity? Because we don't want to waste people's time. We don't want to waste um, processes or efforts because we respect people. You know, Ritsuo Shingo was my, was my sensei. Uh, and of course, I worked at the Shingo Institute. And so we would go to Japan and I would walk around with Ritsuo, who was a, a former president of Toyota China. And he was retired as he would walk me around plants in Toyota or other Japanese factories. And then we'd come to the U.S. and he'd walk me through factories in the U.S. And he would teach me how to look at things differently. He just taught me how to look at them differently. But he, but he really taught me this. He goes, Max, it's not, it's, we don't call it lean, right? In Japan, it's not called lean. And, and, and we know that when, when it, the concept was brought over, there had to be something. It had to be called something. So it's not that lean is an evil word. It's a fine word. It's fine. But what they were trying to capture was actually this essence of why would we disrespect someone who's given their life to do this work with us? Therefore, we won't disrespect them by asking them to do things that are wasteful. Right? Totally. Even in the back of um, the closing part of my book, Learning to Lead, Leading to Learn, I actually explore these concepts of the two pillars of the Toyota way. One is continuous improvement, or how is it translated for us is continuous improvement and respect for people. And yet much is lost in that translation from the Japanese to the English. And there's actually two different words for respect. And one's like respect because of you have a certain title or a position or seniority. And the other is respect that's used for, I respect your humanity and your humanness. And, and we really, we don't have that differentiation in the English language. And to to me, that really made, like we we lost that richness of meaning because that it's like respect for your differences, respect for your showing up, for your your contributions, for you just being a, a human being and doing your best as well. And 
I agree with you that so much of what we've missed is that that link to humanity and to people, it's not just about continuous improvement. If you think about the, the saying at Toyota, you know, like we make people so that we can make cars. Mm -hmm. They, they put, we make the people first because when we can develop people's capability, they can contribute, they're solving problems and they feel appreciated and respected for their humanness and their humanity then they're going to apply all of their creativity, their energy, their confidence for doing a great job and solving the little problems and the big problems that come up each and every day. Yeah. And then, then we're going to have like a great product. So good thinking, good product, um, not the other way around. Yeah. And there's a level of pride, but it's a deep sense of pride that, you know, it's, and it's not just a, a an individual pride, it's a collective pride of we're this company, we represent this company, why would we want to do anything that would be harmful? And we want to create products that produce value for our customers, right? Ritsuo once taught me this, we were walking through a hospital in the US. And and this hospital was really struggling. And and, I mean, all hospitals have process and systems, we're all working on process and systems. I'm not trying to indict an industry because we're all working on this. No, we need to improve. We need to improve. Not that we're not doing this to sing kumbaya. Yeah, we're doing it we're doing, we're, we're engaging people so that yes, we are, we're all sort of, you're not seeing me gesture, but like bringing ourselves together and all our collective power and energy so that we can do good output and create value and make things better. That's right. That's, you know, it's, it's not just doing it for the sake of doing it. Yeah. And we're, and we're, and I'm not, and I'm not to be critical because I, this is just one of those processes they were struggling with. And one of them was mislabeling a blood sample after they collect blood, right? Yeah. It's, it's a, it's a real challenge in a lot of hospitals because where we print the labels is different than where we draw blood. Yeah. And so there's that disconnect because if I'm doing rounds and I'm collecting blood samples, it's very easy to two, throw two or three in my pocket and boom, all of a sudden I've got an issue. Um, and, and so Ritsuo was super humble about it as he saw this and he goes, what could we do to improve this? And people were kind of struggling with an answer. They didn't really have a clear answer. And he humbly just suggested to them, he goes, you know, at Toyota, our job was to make sure we produced a product that wouldn't hurt people. More importantly, that could help people to be safe. He goes, isn't it your job to figure out how to make sure that your people are safe? Yes. Right. You know, it. We get so caught up, this goes back to how we started the conversation, so caught up in the doing mm-hmm. that we forget <laughs> we forget to think about all of the other things that are getting in our way of actually like the right output or the the, the right, we don't have time to do that problem. So we just got to keep doing, even though we're potentially not necessarily doing the right thing. Right, right. What did you learn from your experience? I mean, obviously you had a, a great Toyota leader to work with here. What are some of the stories that stick out for you that you've learned along the way that has changed the way you reach out to companies now, the way you talk? Because it, it changed my life. Spending time with Ritsuo changed the way I viewed things. Yes, I know. That's a, I actually had the pleasure to meet Mr. Shingo a year ago, almost exactly. It was January of 2020, my last trip to Japan. And we had lunch together um, in Toyota City. And uh, he was going to join one of my study trips. So hopefully we'll be able to make that happen. That's great. Uh, and you know, the same way, I, I, you know, it's so hard. I have spent now seven years in partnership with Mr. Yoshino. Um, I met him six months before my family moved to Japan. And he gave me his business card and invited me to come to Toyota City when we got settled. And I was so thrilled by what I thought was going to be a once in a lifetime 
opportunity, of course, uh, we quickly developed a, a really just meaningful relationship built on learning and sharing ideas. Uh, and then, you know, years later emerged into this book and working on the book. So I learned a lot of things from Mr. Yoshino, but working on the book, uh, we partnered for a year, over a year and a half in just deep interviews and learning and like peeling back the onion on stories and experiences. And if you talk about Hansei and reflection, that's really the core of it. So a few, a few things that have changed, um, it's a good question because, you know, as it becomes so much, so much a part of who you are, it's almost hard to say where it came from. Mm-hmm. I, thir- I certainly think it reconfirmed for me what I had sort of known inside my heart about lean and continuous improvement about that. It was about people development. It was about, you know, people first about, as he says, the only secret to Toyota is its attitude towards learning and that the tools and all of those things help us on that, but it's not about the tools and it's not about, are you following this forum? He's like, I don't care if like what A3 template you use, but are you telling the story of your thinking? And so we get so, I guess this, this would be one thing we get so caught up in. Are we filling out this template, right? Or we saw some company doing using this form. And so now this is what it has to look like. It's about going back um, to the fundamental principles about how is this helping us learn and how is this helping us create better value for uh, and save, you know, for our customers and how are we making, how is this helping us make the work better for the people and all that, that's what it's fundamentally all about. And so the tools help support that. So that would be the first thing. And then the second is really goes back to this story, which I've told so many times, but it's so it's so in contrast to much of our experience, certainly any experience I've had in a company, but it was his first weeks of working at Toyota. He had a four month, almost four month orientation, which into itself is, you know, totally not what we experienced. And he was put, he was going to be working in the back office, he, you know, doing a desk job. He was not an engineer and he wasn't going to be working on the shop floor. And, mm-hmm. but they put him in a in, in like a Gemba experience in the actual, you know, he was in the Motomachi plant doing actual value creation work. And so he was assigned to the paint shop and his one job was to pour paint and solvent into a big vat. And then it would come, you know, get sprayed on the cars as it came down the line. And a few weeks into this, you know, the shop, the, the manager ran into the paint shop saying the paint's not sticking to the cars. A hundred cars would have to be, you know, repainted here. He is like 22 years old, literally like a month or two out of college. And the amazing thing is no one yelled at him. No one blamed him. They may have had this internal like reaction at first, you know, like, oh, what happened? But they didn't. They came over to him and said, what was the process that you took? And they actually had him showed the process. And not only they didn't blame him, they thanked him for making the mistake. His manager said, thank you. You've highlighted that we did not set up the conditions for you to be successful at work, for you to do the right thing. And that's our responsibility as managers. So thank you, because now we have an opportunity to correct this for people in the future. And to me, that story, I tell it all the time, but because it's so fundamental about the approach they have about people, about not blaming, about a manager's role in creating the conditions for people to be successful. And that that experience 
wasn't unique to him. He said it happened to all, you know, anyone who was making a mistake. Mm -hmm. It was about helping them along the way. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that is another story I tell all the time because it's such contrast to most of our experiences in the Western world. It's a great story. And, and you're right. It's a, it's in stark contrast. And, and, um, you know, I was allowed to work a line once for about four hours on a, on an auto factory. And so the union invited me to come. I was in Detroit and I was invited to go and work on a factory floor for four hours. And it, it was scary. I was nervous. I mean, because I, I couldn't, I couldn't do, I was supposed to do three parts of this car as it's moving down the line. And I could only do one of the three pieces and so I had other people doing the other pieces <laughs> for me because I couldn't get it all done at the, at, at the, at once. But but there was a level of pride and a level of workmanship that you just don't want to let the other people down. I love the experience of them saying, we learned because we didn't properly instruct you. Yeah, right. And and taking that responsibility. And what's if you then fast forward 40 years to his last years at Toyota, he had another mistake, but this was a, you know, a multi-year new business venture for Toyota, um, a lot of the end of the book is all about this. And it actually took us many years to unpeel what really happened and, and for him not to carry so much burden of feeling like he was a, he had failed. But he lost um, Toyota, the business lost Toyota $13 million and, mm. and was shut down. But Mr. Cho, who was then the president and CEO of Toyota, mm. called him aside at his retirement party and said, it's, a, it's okay, you know, you were new to this business. We were new to this business. And, of, you know, of course, there are things that aren't going to go right. Like they both had taking responsibility. It wasn't like all Mr. Yoshino's fault. The company also had some role and responsibility. And it's okay to make a failure. Like it's, n- it's not no big deal. Not that it's no big deal, but we, what can we learn from it right. so yeah. we can apply it in the future? And um, so it's like interesting that his whole, his 40 years at Toyota were bookended by these different experiences. But but ultimately, the same response from the leadership mm-hmm. of it's okay to make a mistake, and we're here to learn from it and how to improve uh, from there. And let's and let's move forward. Yeah, and let's move forward. What are you? What are you? Where do you spend most of your time right now when you're working with a client? Um, and and I mean, where do you feel like we're missing things in a lot of the work that's happening today when it comes to this topic of lean or continuous improvement? Yep. So almost exclusively my, my time with clients, either one-on-one or when I'm working with um, organizations is really helping leaders see this connection to the human side. And, Mm -hmm. but how, yes, some concepts of problem solving and how can we, you know, do that more effectively, but really about the fundamental part of a leader's role. And this came out of something that Mr. Yoshino said to me, actually the very first time I met him before I moved to Japan. And he was describing his role and his purpose as a manager. And ultimately I summarize it, it's to set the direction Mm -hmm. or a challenge, Mm -hmm. then provide support to people to Mm -hmm. achieve that challenge and develop themselves at the same time. So if we, as if, if leaders can get clear on what's the, what's the challenge or direction, what's the problems, what are the big problems we need to solve? really, and those should be customer focused, of course, mm-hmm. then how are we, how are they spending their time developing people and creating those systems and structures that allow people to become capable, confident, and creative to solve those problems? And then also, how do we look at ourselves as well, our own actions and behaviors and how that's influencing the world around us and the culture that we have? And so have, how can we really focus on 
the people side of things. And I talk about leading with intention. Mm-hmm. Um, so we talk about it's important to have goals that we need to achieve. Those are, but those are external to us. And they're sort of, you know, did we achieve it or not? What can we learn from it? And goals are very important, of course. Mm-hmm. But how can we also show up with intention? Mm-hmm. And then I call intention equals heart plus direction. And this came from the kanji symbols. And you'll appreciate this from the Chinese as well. Mm-hmm. Part of the, the symbols representing the word intention in Japanese come from heart and then the compass or direction. So how do we know what our purpose is, what's important to us, the, you know, the, the value of our role, who we want to be, and then what are the actions that actually align in that direction? And so what I help leaders do is also see how, connect again with their heart and their purpose and their role, mm-hmm. and then how their actions are either aligned with that or not aligned. And a lot of the habits and things that we've developed over our life about you know, becoming expert problem solvers and what it means to achieve or be successful as individual contributors don't actually help us when we're in a people development role. So we have to know like, when is it our problem to solve and when are we there to develop other people? And how do we, how do, that's the art of leadership. How do we move between these different continuums to be most effective? Yeah. And, and, and that is the art of leadership. And I think that's why it's, it's so important for people to realize that it's, it's not just tool-based. It's not just an easy prescription. It's really about this open heart, open mind, this willingness to learn that we've been talking about now for 20, 30 minutes, right? About how does this openness to learning help us to improve our operational uh, our, our operational excellence, if you will, right? This openness to learning and to be able to see each other as human beings, to be able to connect with each other as individuals, to be able to make it safe for them to be able to want to improve and for us to be humble enough to hear that improvement idea and to be able to do something with it. Yeah, absolutely. And for us to like also have create some awareness. And I've gone on my own journey of this too. I was horrified, you know, a decade ago to realize that some of my well-intended actions about problem solving and helping people actually were having a different impact, like jumping in with my ideas and contributing all of my ideas and problem solving was actually cutting other people off in my ideas. I was sort of jumping to solutions. And so I, we have to slow down and say, well, first, what's the problem we're trying to solve? And then is it my problem to solve or is my role there to help other people solve the problem and to either teach them the skills or to ask them the questions that help support their learning? And so when we're in that plan, 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 do, plan, do, plan, do, or we're in this sort of constant firefighting mode, it feels easier to kind of come in and just give all the answers, but we have to break the telling habit and really slow down and say, how are we really understanding the problem and how are we helping other people take responsibility for problem solving as well? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Do you have any favorite coaching questions? Oh, there's so many, Mm. um, you know, some are process oriented, which are like about the problem solving process, like, um, well, certainly one to end is always like, what next step will you take? Mm-hmm. I always love putting it back, um, mm-hmm. back to people. Certainly, um, you know, what problem are you trying to solve mm-hmm. is really gets, <laughs> gets to the heart. People are like, oh, I don't know actually what problem I'm trying to solve. Um, you know, I always go through sort of just the A3 flow for me as well. Like, mm-hmm. what's the context? Why is this important? What's currently happening? What's the real problem you're trying to solve? What are some of the causes? And then what are you going to try? What are you going to try next? What did you learn? 
What next step are you going to take? Mm -hmm. And it really just follows that same problem solving flow, but it's about helping people move through that problem solving process. So it's also about showing, I think the best coaching question really is about where are people in their own problem solving process, but certainly what problem are you trying to solve is, uh, and how will you learn uh, (laughs) or like to learn the next step? How do we encourage that learning to continue? Right. And then how do we share that learning? It's, it, yeah. These are great questions, and I think it's a real emphasis here today, too, that you, you pointed out earlier, and I didn't, I didn't jump on it then, but I should bring it back, is that you know it's not about the tool here. We can almost get too analytical, and basically, we could have a very good coaching conversation that just follows the A3 format, but, but we don't have to be sticklers and saying, oh, we have to fill this out every single time, or it only can be in this font, or this size, or whatever. I was traveling in Europe once, walking through a factory. They had these beautiful A3s. I mean, beautiful. But it looked like you had to have a master's degree to be able to kind of fill it out, maybe even a PhD. I'm just just putting it out yeah. there. And I asked them, I said, how do you guys get these things done? And they said, well, we actually had to create a committee to help people fill them out. Yeah, it gets, oh, that's so hard. It's right. It's Then yeah. now the tool is inhibiting the thinking and it should be the other way around. The tool right. should be supporting the thinking process. Right. And again, we, we get so focused on the template. I actually want to... When you were asking me what I learned from Mr. Yoshino too, yeah. I think the third part sort of ties into this was how oftentimes people think sort of Toyota's culture just emerged and they just sort of always had this people-centered learning culture mm-hmm. and they had aspects of it, but it was Toyota leadership was very intentional about how it created its culture and about every 20 years, I'm sort of making a symbol, like retightened its belt, as Mr. Yoshino likes to say, put really intentional focus on making sure that sort of the next generation of leaders were really taking on um, the leadership approach. And in the late 1970s, Mr. Yoshino was part of a small uh, task force to do a major initiative with the thousand most senior leaders at Toyota, which was about teaching them A3 thinking, Mm -hmm. not as a tool, but as a way to identify and communicate their top priority and engage their people in thinking. And that was really the reason that A3 thinking became the the standard for communication, for reports, for strategy, for problem solving across all of Toyota. And he tells a story about how, so what he was probably in his early thirties at the time, you know, sort of in a continuous improvement type of, you know, internal consulting role. Mm -hmm. And they were supposed to review the A3s of all these senior leaders twice a year that went before they presented them and share them to the executive team. And he said one time, he was like, this one leader, his A3 was just not very, like, didn't, wasn't filled out in the way he thought it should be. So he brought it to his senior manager and who's actually his, his mentor who's still alive today. And I'm totally paraphrasing the stories in the book, but his, man, his manager is like, don't worry. It doesn't matter how he filled out the form. You can see his thinking and that's the most important. He did it in his own style is he doesn't have a lot of words in there, but he it's clear to see his thinking and his logic. And so that's okay. And of course, then that leader became one of the most you know senior leaders at Toyota later as well. And he was really emphasizing it, it doesn't matter what the te- you know how they filled out the form, yeah. is the thinking clear? And yeah. and it just emphasized for me how important it is for senior leadership to get that as well. Otherwise, they're going to end up in the you know committees to fill out their their A3s or their reports, which and- is. And you know what, Katie, I love that. And and one of the things I try to emphasize when I'm out there with senior leaders on a factory floor, and, uh, and you know, hopefully we'll be out there again soon, 
but uh, when we're on those factory floors, right, is to look at that board from exactly that perspective. What is this board telling us about the thinking and about the reflection and about the learning and about the improvement that's going on? What is this board telling us? Not just that it's green, because that's a, that's a nice report card, or it's red, so they've identified a gap, but I want to know what the thinking is behind it. Is it updated? Are they using it? Why are they using it? How are they using it? How are they improving it? What is it doing to help me do my job better? Yes. Right? right. What, starting with purpose. What's exactly. its purpose? And how is it helping us get better? It goes back to the question you, you, know, you said that you like to ask, you know, when people are in a, uh, you know, doing you know, a check-in. It's like, how did this help yeah. us move forward? How did this help us to move it forward? How did this help us to make it better? Yeah. And and that's what these boards should be about. There has to be that purpose behind it. Yes. Katie, I, I love this conversation. Anything that you would say that was very special to you about writing this book or things that you've learned mm-hmm. since then or anything else you would say for those who are, and maybe it's twofold. Maybe you can answer all the above, I guess, because I'm <laughs> answering a multi-part question here. <laughs> but as we, as we kind of wrap it up, I'm... I'm just thinking about those 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 listeners who are saying, but gosh, how do I start this journey? Like, where do I go? So give me something to look at, point me towards a direction, or if I'm struggling, what should I do? Yeah, there's a lot of questions. It's a lot. It's and probably too so, many, too many. I know, so many, so many. Well, let me start with where you started that on, yeah. which is, you know, something that I, I learned from, from working on the book. And first to me, like, I'm, I'm just so thrilled that the book's reaching such a wide audience. And it, the most meaningful thing now is when people tell me they're reading the book for the second or third time going back and it's how helpful it's been for them. Um, and it's I told you earlier, it's coming out in Japanese this month, actually, as awesome. we record this at the end of January, which I'm thrilled for. So that very senior leader and mentor that I mentioned, Mr. Mm-hmm. Yoshino's, who's in his mid eighties now, he can read the book and uh, Mr. Segura, he's in, he, he features there. But for me, if no one read the book, which would be sad because there's so much wisdom for Mr. Yoshino and history in here, the process of working on the book with Mr. Yoshino was so rewarding Mm. and helping him reflect on his life, both his personal life and his professional life from a different angle. And really that practice of Hansei, of, of looking back from a different perspective, not just being in the moment and really distilling a lifetime of learning uh, for him and to see him switch from or rem- remembering things that he had, like the paint story. He's like, when he told it to me, he's like, I haven't remembered this for, I don't know, three decades. But that, that, that end of his career, this big failure that always felt like a weight and a burden on his shoulder, to have him see it from a different light and appreciating it and sort of taking that burden away mm-hmm. was the biggest gift um, to me. So that going back to that value of Hansei, of being able to reflect not just in the moment and see what we did, but also reflect from maybe with a perspective of time and seeing the pattern of learning that emerges. Uh, so that's sort of the meta, the meta experience of, of the book. Uh, and where should people start? You know, we have to start with ourselves. I mean, I, I, I think that the, it's so hard to think about how are we going to change a culture? How are we going to have an organizational transformation and, or how can I influence the senior leaders to do this? And um, we all have influence in our world, even if it's formally through a title or informally through how we interact with people in our space. And 
we can take a look at how we want to show up and the impact that we want to have mm-hmm. and the culture that we want to create around us. And even making small changes can have a huge, huge impact. I mean, switching from asking leading questions or interrupting and asking some more genuine open inquiry questions can have a dramatic impact Mm -hmm. on engagement and problem solving. Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be these huge things that happen, but collectively as we start to ask more questions or to slow down or to do a little bit more reflection collectively, that's where we start to build that culture and, and create it. And so I think we can get overwhelmed by like the, the end point that we want to get to, but it's really those true small Kaizen steps and, you know, Kaizen, the the symbols come from self whip and change from the good. It's about having that self-discipline to look at how our own actions influence the world around us and that small discipline changes can really have a big impact. We've been speaking today with Katie Anderson, author of learning to lead, leading to learn and Katie, I've just really enjoyed getting to spend some time with you today. It's just been so fun. Likewise. Well, we're gonna this won't be the the last of our conversations, just the first of many, Max. I, I, I believe that. I do. And obviously when we finally get our book done, which I've told you I'm working yeah. on, but we'll have to have you help us review it. But uh, maybe we should do a Japan study tour together. Let's talk. Oh, that, let's, that let's talk offline. I can't, well, as soon as uh, as soon as Japan opens its borders, I have a tour tentatively scheduled for October, but just waiting for Japan to open those borders. But yeah, let's stay connected. I think there's a lot of, a lot of synergies. So it's awesome. Katie, I'm just delighted that you'd come on with us today. Thanks for sharing your insights and for your passion around this and what you're, you're helping people to understand. I love that advice. Let's start with ourselves. Let's start with ourselves because this can get really complicated really fast in a lot of ways. And in today's day and age, I mean, there's a lot happening very quickly. Let's just start where we are. How can we influence? How can we set the climate? How can we lead a little bit differently because we've had this conversation today? Absolutely. Well, thanks for letting me come on the show here and inviting me. And I'd love to connect with listeners as well on my website, which is kbjanderson.com. I also have some resources there to help you break the telling habit and other things to help get started on those small, small things each and every day. So small changes, big impact. So lead with intention. Thank you. Thank you so much, Max. No, I'm delighted. Thank you. And thank you to all our listeners today for joining us on the Purpose of Principles podcast. Have a great week.